the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. It's Election Day. Um, More so in Virginia than maybe secondarily in New Jersey. And then we can talk about, obviously, other elections like local bond issues. But the Virginia results uh, certainly won't be known by the time this show uh, completes itself in um, less than an hour. Uh, Perhaps by tomorrow we'll know something. I'm happy to give you my prediction, which is that um, Mr. Youngkin, the Republican, wins by something like 3,000 votes. And then court filings are filed by the Democrats all over the place, and three weeks of argument will ensue. That's my prediction. Lou, do you have a you – know, Lou uh, Hallman, let me give you a proper introduction. Lewis Hallman is with us every Tuesday at this hour, usually with Hugh Hallman, who couldn't be here with us today. May Cullen. Lou is the Managing Director of Insight Analytics, LLC. Anyway, do you have a prediction on Virginia? It's you know, my, my prediction no is pretty comparable to your own. I expect a fairly tight uh, Republican victory, but um, – uh, I, I don't think it will be overwhelming, but I, I do think they'll squeak it by. Right, I do too, because it has domin- It had the state really has been dominated by by a very, very, very blue purple. Well, if you wouldn't mind, I, I wouldn't mind taking the time to think about what's different here sure. for Republicans between something like the, the Larry Elder uh, uh, election Go that, for that happened in yeah, California. Sure. Well, if you look at the difference between Virginia and California, they've got very, very different voter bases. California, as we all know has been deep blue since the 80s, effectively, and votes something like two to one Democrat to Republican. Virginia is significantly tighter. It is historically much more purple um, and will hang around probably a 55-45 split D to R mm-hmm. most days. Mm-hmm. You add in a you know historically invasive regime over the past two years, and this is where we start to see the territory where you can make up that ten percentage point difference. Larry Elder, I don't think that there was much of a way he could have won that race, but I, I still do think that that was a very valuable race just because it it generated so much cultural attention and had so much of the sort of the democratic racialist political machine calling Larry Elder and Uncle Tom and saying he's the black face of white supremacy and all of these things. So I, I think that even those losing elections are still very valuable for Republicans as a, as a political force. Mm-hmm. But here, here I think we're going to get one, finally. I hope so. There's another difference. Um, and it's, it's, it's palpable when you watch the rallies. And the difference is the national GOP didn't lift a finger on behalf of Larry Elder in the way that it has on this race, maybe because it's next door. Sure. And it also I think that probably also comes down to whether or not they think that you can overcome that big gap and win. They probably didn't see Larry Elder as viable, I would think. I I don't. Yeah, it, it may or may not be that 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 case. But I will tell you one of the problems with Virginia that enough people aren't thinking about and you you were giving voice to a little bit of it, Lewis which is um, 
it is a very transient state in the sense of populations move in and out of there based on federal work. Right. A lot. It's not just Virginia. It's Maryland and D.C., but to a greater extent it, of those three, it's Virginia. Right. And with the Democratic administration, you got a lot more Democrats moving into Virginia to work for the administration. Absolutely. So this is an especially unhelpful year. But the question becomes, are the issues that have been raised and have energized uh, so many uh, to make this such a tight race, are they more unpopular than um, the Democratic administration to which people have become used to? The California thing, yeah, it's an interesting state of confusion in California, to say the least, because you're right to say it's a blue state, but it occasionally has triumphs of common sense, particularly on race issues. So the unremarked upon story of the 2020 election was that Californians, by a huge margin, by a tremendous margin, voted to keep, best way to put it, voted to keep racial preferences out of California. Right. They had the opportunity to go the racial preference route in education. They voted to stay race neutral. That was an interesting You mean, you mean beyond the degree point. to which affirmative action course, is already of involved? Of course, of right. course, right. Uh, that was an interesting point. Uh, but you're right. The only way you're going to rebuild California and the Republican Party, though, is if party apparatchiks get behind people who are the new voices of the Republican Party, the likes of Larry Elder. And to the degree they keep staying out of it by saying it's non-viable and they just Let start me disagree by not with counting you, California. Actually. I, I'm not sure that I, I agree with you they'll there. never get anywhere ahead. Go ahead. So I I don't think that we're going to see a lot of the, the party apparatchiks running back into California looking to spend money. I think that both parties are in serious flux right now and they are actively in the middle of recalibrating their core constituencies. That is what key issues – they think matter collectively to them. And I I think that they're they're still very much in flux. And to that end, I think a lot of the core leadership of the Republican Party, as it stands now, is not going to be where the party is going to go over the next 10 years, just because, again, we're in the middle of that transition. And so the current leadership's ideas are probably not where we're going to end up. So instead, what I would imagine is you'll get very savvy, younger, what is currently kind of Republican adjacent or at least establishment Republican adjacent figures probably coming out of the woodwork, putting a slightly different spin on it, using probably a lot of the same kinds of ideas that Larry Elder uh, uh, spoke about, but with a slightly different marketing face on them. And I think that that in a more decentralized way will probably be the way that California is rebalanced. You may be right. However, Let me just say this. It wouldn't have been hard for the party apparatus nationally or 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 for that matter um, uh, in the super PAC world. It would not have been hard for them to run ads on standard meat and potatoes issues that had nothing to do with Larry. Absolutely not. It would not have been hard for them to run ads on the failing education system there. It would not have been hard for them to run ads on the failing um, on, 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 on the failing problem with homelessness or the failing problem with violent crime or the failing problem with um, disease and the failing problem with uh, with uh, uh, covid mandates it would not have been hard for them to do those generic meat and potatoes ads but too many 
Republican consultants start by saying, forget California. Right. Just forget it. And I think it's an error. I you, think it's a mistake. And you see this exact same won't kind of error. be competitive where you don't compete. We, we, you see this exact same kind of error in, in many, many political races, you know, up and down the ticket where – You've got hot, competitive purple districts that then everyone is coming out of the woodwork to, to run in and the safe seats are then just left for incumbents effectively in perpetuity where instead I, I think it might even be much wiser simply because everyone is spending all of their money on these hot, contested areas. Mm. You've got to wonder, mm-hmm. is there an ROI to go after mm-hmm. the fortresses? Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I earnestly think that you – know, take Arizona as, as an example – I wonder why there isn't more effort on, say, the 5th Congressional District, Ruben Gallego's district in downtown Phoenix. Why do, do Republicans simply concede that because it is a, a an urban district that they can't win there? I mean, part of the issue is, is recruiting candidates who are willing to run and fall on that sword, which happens a lot. And so that, that I think, is one of the big barriers to entry is actually getting the people on the ground to run the races. But if we can do that, then... I, I would really certainly like to see more more funding towards the long shot races. I think that there's a lot more culturally that we can do there than just fighting where everyone else is already fighting. Yeah, I just I just simply think that it was a mistake for the GOP to sit out this race in California because of what you see them talking about with regard to Virginia. When they're talking about Virginia, well, up until yesterday, they were saying if Republicans win the governorship in Virginia – this will be an earthquake, right? right? Unfortunately, it would have been an even bigger earthquake had Larry Elder had a chance in California by the party establishment. Well, and how, they didn't how, provide the groundwork to give him that opportunity. How many active Democrats, you know, who who want to think that Democrats look after the interests of minorities were disillusioned by yeah. the L.A. Times right. calling him the face right. of white supremacy? Right. There was still serious right. value there. Yes, there was. There was a lot of value that was missed by the by the professionals. We're going to go to break. We'll come back on COVID. But let me let me make one one prediction um, that I hope doesn't come to pass. If you've been reading about the Virginia race over the last 24 hours, that's why I said up until two days ago, you're seeing some Republican consultants and writers saying or conservative writers saying, even if McAuliffe, the Democrat, wins by a little, it will be a wake up call. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. A victory is a victory. And the Democrats will think everything is just fine if McAuliffe wins. You either win or you go home. I'm Seth. He's Lewis. 602-508-0960. And I think we have uh, Potter Prima Paris calling in, if I'm not mistaken. Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Music and lyrics from Carol King, the voice from the monkeys, the Potter Familius of the Hallmans has joined us by telephone. Hugh Hallman. Welcome, Hugh. How are you? I feel delighted to be called Pater Familius. Yeah, there are two Latin words for father. Pater is the one who engages in the responsibilities of doing the the fathering, you know, teaching uh, the rights and wrongs, raising the children. The other Latin word is genitor, and that's just the guy who does the physical act, and we don't need to teach much about that. But you have taught us volumes, Hugh, on how to be a Pater father, and I thank you for that. Well, thank you. I leave it to my three sons to make that determination. Uh, that 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 will come at a later time. I think. It's at times like uh, this want... I'm reminded of Solon's warning: never <laughs> say that a man is happy until he is dead. <laughs> oh, 
Okay. Well, nicely, Lewis. I'm okay. grateful. I, I was going to do something on my three sons, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just the hoi polloi here. <laughs> Hugh, um, I know we have some I... – uh, you wanted to pick a few nits with me. Before we do that, Lewis wanted to say something about COVID. Can we do that and then have you weigh in on whatever you want? Do you mind? Sure, not at all, but I was merely going to join you in your earlier uh, segment about the fact that you were correct that not fighting in one of the battlefields concedes it entirely. And uh, I, uh, as someone who actually worked uh, with and for President Reagan, we had to fight in uh, California to take it back beginning in August of 1994, right. where the president was down by 18 points. Right. And he was leading in 48 states and behind in only two, California and uh, Minnesota. uh, 84. You meant 84 against Mondale. 84. Did I say 94? That's okay, because I want to say something about 94. But go ahead. Go ahead. So in 84, we actually had to spend significant effort and resources to uh, bring the president's numbers back up so he could win in his home state of California. It would have been not only embarrassing, but we would have lost significant ground a lot sooner. Yeah. And so I think Lewis's point is a good one, that conceding the ground makes it a lot easier for the opposition to continue. And worse, you never create the opportunity for a younger generation to start uh, clearing the ground to win the day. And what's worse, you tell the entire populace of those districts that you concede that they are not worth your time right. and attention. Right. Right. Welcome to slavery. Well, exactly. But, but Hugh, um, that's interesting that you talked about a generation because it was as, as, as recently really as, as 1992 on a race you worked on, I think, in California, the Bruce Hershenson race, that we almost had that. We almost won that, but for some dirty tricks at the end by the boxer campaign. And if, 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 if Bruce Hershenson were elected to the United States Senate in 92, which he almost was – that itself would have been an earthquake. That would have changed California have, for a long time. Correct. And that, that is where we have, in California, lost... Yeah, we've just uh, never gone back. We've just never gone back. It. That's right. And I, I, I so, frankly think it's a big mistake. I just... Uh, anyway. Um, to COVID, because I want to hear Lewis's yeah. uh, views uh, this week on... Uh, what the, what it looks like oh, out here. Okay. Well, it, it was really more just a, a note that I wanted to slip in about the Virginia gubernatorial election uh, with the Democratic candidate Terry McAuliffe, um, who had said as of October 21st that Virginia had uh, 1,426 children in its ICU beds. The real number at the time was 35. So the Washington Post has then granted them four Pinocchios. We have now seen what it takes for a Democratic candidate to not be following the science. You just have to overstate the the issue by 30-fold. He also, the same day, claimed that Virginia had seen 8,000 COVID cases the previous day when they had seen 2,000. Um, the last time they had seen 8,000 was in January. He later said, by the way, that he had uh, uh, meant to imply that it had been 1,400 uh, uh, children up to that point that had been hospitalized in the ICU, but numbers at the time revealed that that figure was really closer to uh, 970 children cumulatively. So I'm not sure how he's just making up his numbers, but I thought that this was a um, a very useful window into 
the Democratic political campaign machine and how it uses COVID figures uh, and makes them up. Oh, let me add my pet peeve, and it's more than a pet peeve. I've been all over Twitter on this and a show for two days about it, Hugh and Lewis, which is breakthrough deaths and hospitalizations in the CDC. You know, there was a site, Hugh, you and I used to go to these sites all the time, and then we started noticing last year CDC started changing their sites when the data when the data wasn't helpful to their argument. Up until Sunday night, literally up until Sunday night, the CDC did have a page on breakthrough deaths and hospitalizations with data, actual numbers of who double-dosed had died with or from COVID or who double-dosed was in the hospital with or from COVID. And they literally had numbers, you know, in the thousands and tens of thousands. That page no longer exists as of Monday morning. As of yesterday morning, it totally disappeared. They don't have it up anymore. They don't want you to know the numbers. And it put me in mind, of course, of what uh, the 1984 novelist George Orwell said, that starting from yesterday, all past has been abolished. But anyway, your comment, Hugh? Well, just uh, that they've continued to play the game of uh, making sure their narrative is supported by the website and its data. And when the inconvenient truth was there one uh, facet uh, claim or statement was get vaccinated, get vaccinated, without pointing out that the vaccinations wane over time and that people would eventually need to get booster shots. That was pretty uh, evident early on, and Israel proved it by uh, mid-July this year, uh, that that we still haven't quite gotten it uh, moved forward for booster shots for those who want it. Now, you have to make your own decision on whether you're better off or not uh, having uh, the uh, vaccination in the first instance or getting a booster shot thereafter. That is an individual's decision, and that's my political view, and I think I share that with you and Lewis, that we uh, we view uh, the entire challenge we're facing is that we believe that individuals have liberty and get to exercise their, their decisions uh, based on information and that they should be supplied with the information to allow them to do that. The CDC is supposed to be the font of that information. Add to the fact, Seth, that you're correct. Not only did they pull down the little bit of data that they were collecting, they stopped collecting data on all hospitalizations. They stopped collecting data uh, on all cases and merely wanted to focus on convenient hospitalizations and included a footnote. And the footnote is the most instructive. During this entire pandemic, we have often talked, and Lewis really made this point earliest on, that uh, we have cases of people who... Uh, have COVID and are asymptomatic, so they're no symptoms at all. And they end up in the hospital because they've got a hip replacement, and the hospital started testing everybody to make sure that, number one, they identified COVID patients, but also because they got paid more if someone was tagged as a COVID patient. And as a result, we complained about the fact that the data we is being so manipulated that cases were being reported only for people who were tested, not those who were asymptomatic. And in hospitals, everyone who was being tested, you were lumped together as a COVID patient, whether or not you had symptoms. And so we had overstatement, wild overstatement of hospitalizations. Now, in this instance, when it was inconvenient to the CDC on their uh, vaccination narrative that they did not want people to think about the fact that there could be breakthrough cases, they dropped a footnote and it said, please do understand that these hospitalizations include people who uh, were tested for COVID and had no symptoms, like people who were admitted to the hospital in an automobile accident, but tested positive for COVID inadvertently. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll pick up on that in a moment. We have to hit the break. I'm Seth. They're the Hallmans. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we do every Tuesday in our third hour, we are delighted to be joined. We uh, get to be joined by the Holmans, Lewis and Hugh. And uh, Hugh's on the phone with us. Lewis, um, here in studio, we have some calls we'll put on uh, with you, uh, Hugh, in a moment. But before we go to calls, Hugh, I think you wanted to uh, you wanted to pick a nit with me on something I said. No, I don't think it's actually a nit. I think it's a big philosophical issue, okay. and we need to continue discussing it. You did a couple of really solid shows, and I would encourage people, if they didn't hear them live, to go to the podcast page at KKNT 960 The Patriot and listen to Seth's uh, discussions about what it means to be a conservative and what his sources of being uh, of meaning for being a conservative uh, are. And I happen to agree with uh, your view, Seth, that uh, the, the best indicators are people who have principles in which they tie themselves to natural law and uh, rights that come with obligation, and that uh, the best indicators I have of people who have led that or demonstrated that uh, in my lifetime were Barry Goldwater, who was the senator for the state of Arizona and ran for president in 1964, and Ronald Reagan who, of course, uh, ran for president first in 1976, uh, then ultimately was successful in 1980 and 1984. And both of them, I thought, were terrific demonstrations of policy, uh, principled policy. But in both cases, they, as Lewis has talked about, had the ability to acknowledge the uh, some of the uh, pressures that our society faces, uh, and as conservatives, acknowledge that there are issues we have to deal with the left. So, for example, Ronald Reagan talked about a safety net. Well, a true conservative could argue that no safety net in our society is necessary, that we can also live in a world in which every person is, has the opportunity to succeed or fail of their own accord. And for periods of time in our society, that was always true or, or true. But Ronald Reagan established that it, as a conservative, he conceded that there were people who could not, on their own, succeed in this society, given the hurdles that were placed before them, and that we should provide a safety net to assure that they had a, a level of, of life that was honorable and decent. And we've now pushed and pulled on what those issues are, but people now use that Ronald Reagan would concede such a thing to suggest that he wasn't a conservative. And I just happen to disagree with that. And I encourage you to continue to have those discussions and that your listeners also engage in those discussions openly and honestly. I, I, I missed the disagreement part. What was the part where we dis, where you disagreed with me? Uh, well, I think that you have uh, argued more recently that in our current environment, there are uh, clarions of conservatism that I think uh, are really based in populism and not uh, principle. And I hope that we can tease apart these arguments and yep. talk about them on the realm of principle sure. and recognize that there is a, a, a spectrum on any principle at which some people might draw different places where they would land, even still being conservative, based on their view that we have to address certain issues in society, like it or not. And you and I may not disagree. We may not be in disagreement. We may not be. Uh, but it would be based on whether you agree with the following sentiment, Hugh. There were large elements of the Goldwater constituency in 1964, as there were of the Reagan constituency in 80 and 84, that were populist. Certainly. Okay. I would Having that. said that, 
there can be a Venn diagram where conservatism does have an element of populism, right? Well, certainly popular populism is defined by uh, leaning to the popular view of the day, yeah. which is generally what defines populism. I would point to uh, Theodore Roosevelt mm-hmm. as a pure populist. Okay. He was a progressive populist, and somehow he became uh, enshrined by some folks as a conservative. Not by, not, a conservative. <laughs> not, not by me. Not by me. Not by me either. Okay. And, See, we're in fierce agreement. <laughs> we're in f- exactly right. <laughs> he but ran on the Bull Moose Party. That's actual formal title was the, the Progressive, progressive party, party of America. Of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Yeah, no. And we're- so... Uh, <laughs> That, that is my, my point is merely that we ought to use principle and discuss that. And so I, for example, as the mayor of the city of Tempe, often was referred to as a populist. But I was a populist because I dragged people to my view of what a city should and should not do and the proper use of government authority to build the economy in the city of Tempe and the things it should not do to build the economy and assist its community. Um, Does being a populist in that instance make me not a conservative? No, no, of course not. I, I think, like um, like Moliere said, you're speaking prose without even knowing it. I'll take that. Yeah, it's a compliment. You and I are on the same side. We're in fierce agreement. It's a compliment to me to be on your side. I'm Seth. He's Hugh, and he's Lewis. We'll take your calls when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. <clears throat> Delightfully joined, as we always are on Tuesday afternoons, by Hugh and Lewis Hallman. More to say from each of us, but first, let's go to the callers. Uh, Dave and Surprise wanted to get on with you, gentlemen. Dave, welcome. You're on with Hugh Lewis Hallman. Thank you so much, teacher. I appreciate yeah. your guests, their, their knowledge. I love the statistics, of course. Um, I, I don't think we should be surprised by anything the CDC and the FDA is doing at this point. They've proven to us that they're part of the establishment class, and they're following Operation Chaos. They want us to to call into question every single institution, including the medical ones, including the police, eliminating us from going to church. They just want to keep us in constant turmoil so that the establishment class, the Marxists, can take over and write the history as they wanted it to be always by erasing it currently and in the past. I agree. Uh, Hugh, do you want to comment on that? Then I'll turn to Lewis. I think you go to Lewis first. Lewis? Well, um, broadly, I agree. You know, they're, the only thing that, that I might check on uh, would be the degree to which we we say that specific actors are doing this in a top-down fashion. Very often, complex systems can result in very, very, very... Uh, uh, complicated results that appear to be uh, conspiratorially driven, but are often just the result of decentralized pressures. So, while I agree with virtually everything that you said, I I want to not give our opponents extra ammunition by by making us uh, 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 claim that that our opposition are, you know. A, a cabal of, of people who, who are in great control. Yeah, I don't want us to. Yeah, let me have you weigh in on this, Hugh. I don't want us to undermine um, the power of the ideology that is animating our, our political opposition. Um, the ideology is a very, very intoxicating, a very intoxicating and strong medicine 
God knows. It's so strong that, um, you know, young people sign up for it even when it's evil, um, right? Uh, ideology should not be discounted in its strength. Marxism, uh, Islamism, uh, fascism, these are strong medicines that have great appeal to a lot of people, including young people who naturally desire something to live for and fight for, right? Um, that's why I've always seen the battle for our youth as loosely written between uh, the forces of composition and the forces of decomposition, Boy Scouts versus you name it, Crips and Bloods if you want, or anything can stand in its way, in its place. Something. Uh, this, this is eminently true, what bin Laden said. People will rather back a strong horse than a weak one, and boy, he comes from one that is a strong ideology, as did Mao Zedong, as did Vladimir Lenin, as did Pol Pot, and... And, and Joseph Stalin. Hugh, am I, am I getting this wrong? No, I think that... Uh, the inherent problem, I, I'm sorry, I, the inherent problem is democracy makes a hard time of it, giving a strong medicine that is comparable to the strong medicines those noxious ideologies uh, present to the youth. Sorry, go ahead. It ha- no, it has always been a challenge for our society to uh, deal with the fact that we will allow people to make uh, claims of philosophy whose entire purpose is to destroy the basis of this society, and that in this free society we allow uh, the communist doctrine to be taught and to be expressed and to be lived by people whose entire purpose is to destroy others' right to exercise their own liberty. And so that is a conundrum that we're going to continue to face. But I believe Lewis is correct that we should not attribute to the trend and... and, uh, the, the direction we are seeing, some all-powerful cabal, but instead it is rather like the market. And that is that uh, when, when people want to plan an economy and, and dictate thing, choices that people will make, I have to point out that here we have 330 million people making dozens and dozens of decisions every single day uh, about what to buy, what to eat, what to wear, uh, what color car they'll drive, all those kinds of things. And they do not, it does not require a, a government economy to dictate that. And as a result, it works out pretty well. Um, that is also true of ideas. And we are losing the battle of ideas in large part because, as you discussed in the first hour, we have conceded the field in a number of places and probably the most important place we've conceded that field is in our primary and secondary education yep. system. Yep. And we have allowed that system to be taken over by people who've been very patient and tend to the left, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And Lewis is the product of a school that uh, taught the classics and did not dictate what those students learned, but dictated that they think critically. And in learning that process, we're able to attack ideas and determine their validity based on reason. Can I jump in right there? Yeah, I wanted Lewis to jump in right there, because before the show we were talking about critical race theory. Yeah, go ahead, Lewis. So so there's this misconception on the left when talking about critical race theory in schools that Republicans' principal objection to it is that we teach our children about the nature of slavery having existed in the United States or of the other various uh, uh, – 
horrifying things that occurred through our nation's history. You know, for Papago Park was home to a Japanese internment camp over World War II. We have no problem talking about these things or learning about our past. This is not what we object to when we object to CRT in schools. What we object to is the the braid insistent that children who happen to be white are a special kind of evil and harmful to their, their non-white peers. The, the enforcement of a new age of segregation is what we oppose. We don't oppose learning about history. We love learning about history. It animates us. We oppose the distortion of history. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so on that point, I have to make one correction. Of course, Papago Park was not the home of a Japanese internment camp. It was the home of a German prisoner of war camp. I'm sorry. Uh, but there, there was a Japanese uh, internment camp in the Phoenix area. So that is I think true. it was in Canto. All- I think it was in Canto. Uh, well, we will know in three that. minutes. I promise you that. <laughs> Hugh, do you want the last word when we come back on the other side of this break, or do you want to cede it to the sun? I will cede it to the sun as we go to break, saying history matters. Thank you. Bless you, Hugh. We'll have a concluding thought in a moment, and we'll tell you whether uh, Encanto uh, Park uh, was a place of Japanese internment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Corrections. Encanto Park was never an internment camp. It was the Gila River War Road Relocation Center here in Arizona, a little bit south of Phoenix that served as an internment camp. Right. Lewis, concluding thought? Well, I think that um, we, we really want to take the time to assess where the Republican Party is going to go over the next few years. I, I think that your conversation about principle being the, the source of it was really was very key here. I'm reminded of an idea about uh, that knowing all of the facts about how a field is constructed will not tell you how to walk through that field. In much the same way, learning about Learning an endless number of facts about the economics of Americans won't help you make the economy better. That we know the state of the world doesn't tell us what our ethical obligations are. Right. And that all of those that would bray to us that we need to follow the science, listen to the experts, and that this should somehow be our sole source of truth and guidance, they are necessarily wrong because fact is not sufficient. We need principle and ethical analysis and morality to help guide our decision-making. And it is a necessary part of public policy. Yeah, I think that's right. Knowing that 2 plus 2 equals 4 doesn't tell you what to do, but knowing that you used to have 1% poverty and you now have 4% tells you that you need to start thinking about what you need to do. Right. Well, I mean, that that even doesn't tell you that. It just tells you that things seem to be getting worse. It doesn't tell you why you have that the poverty. You qualitative analysis, or, or that that gives you a qualitative answer. Right. Yeah. All right, folks. Until tomorrow, thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. God bless you all. And class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.